Welcome to the I Am Winter Solstice Symposium. Feel the wind inside of you. Feel the wind of your spirit. In Southern Africa, we talk about umoya. Njani umoya wako, how is the wind inside of you? For us, the wind also represents the spirit, the soul. To connect with the wind inside of you means to connect with your soul, your very essence, that part of you which is connected to the dream time, that part of you which is connected to your immortality. Feel the wind inside of you. Feel your spirit and your soul stir. I'd like to do a little guided meditation to connect to the wind inside of you but also to connect to your inner fire. Your inner fire and the wind are connected because there needs to be combustion, there needs to be fire in order for there to be passion. And when there's passion, there's also compassion. So we light the fire inside of us through feeling our wind and then feeling our angumoya, the wind rising inside of us. So wherever you are, I invite you to sit up straight I invite you to feel your heartbeat, which is the fire inside of you. So here we go. Feel your spirit, feel your spine. Put your hand on your heart, feel the pulse of your heartbeat and know that the pulse of your own heartbeat is the connection you have to the fire inside of you. Breathe in, allow the wind inside of you to ignite your own heartbeat. When there's ignition, there's combustion. When there's combustion, there's passion. When there's passion, there's compassion. And what this world needs more than anything else is more compassion. But to do that, we have to be passionate human beings. So mindfully, in a concentrated, focused way, I invite you to feel your own heartbeat. Breathe in, breathe in the wind inside of you. Breathe it in directly to your own heartbeat and notice something. Notice how you breathe in consciously to the beating heart inside of you. Your heart pulse becomes stronger, more vibrant. It becomes more alive. It becomes more passionate. Breathe in. Breathe in the wind of the world. Breathe in the wind of spirit. Breathe it directly into your own life force. 
that electrical pulse of fire inside of you, which is your heartbeat. And now in my tradition, I'm gonna sing in the Kosa and in Guni language, I'm gonna invite in the wisdom keepers of our humanity, our ancestors. Side of you. How is the wind calling you right now? How is your spirit calling you into the world? Sidi Kamakusia Nolesia Tandaza Tamago Abantu Badala Sia Nolitika Nekamata Sidi Kamakusia. So we say we honor and praise the great spirit, we honor and praise our ancestors. We honor and praise the wisdom keepers before us, and we say to them, please. We say, please open the road, great ones. Open the road, our ancestors. Open the road, our parents, so that we can realize our humanity and the gift of being human in this world and the next. And the job of waking up as a human being is the job of learning to become a custodian of this world. How can we help this world? So I pray that you can feel your spirit and that you can listen to your spirit and your spirit can guide you into the world, can guide you in how to be a human being with two hands, two feet and a voice and how to help this world. Thank you. 
Mm. Well, now that's the way to start out a, a, a conversation. I love it. Thank you. Um, for those of you who are joining us, today I have the privilege and the honor of uh, visiting with uh, John Lockley, one of the first modern white men in recent history to become a fully initiated Koza? Koza, yeah. Koza, Koza I got it. Uh, Sent, uh, medicine man. I'm not going to even try the other words, but we're going to have a conversation today about what well, we found out uh, pre pre hit the record button that we have a lot in common about spreading and connecting. And and I just haven't been to your tradition so much, so I'm really excited to be sitting here with you and maybe even have a bone reading. I've never had a bone reading. I've always wanted one. And the heart that you already just offered us, um, sign me up. So uh, he has a book called, by uh, Sounds True called The Leopard Warrior, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I let him know that there's a group of, of a few hundred fire tenders holding space for uh, their altar for this period in the north, which is the, the winter solstice. And he happens to be in the south where they don't really celebrate the solstices per se, or they don't, not, they're certainly not celebrating the winter solstice. But uh, so I'm here. Uh, we were here to learn about what you you want to teach us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here today. So thanks for inviting me, Renee. Well, it turns out that he was just telling me, and I, I since we have a group of wind believers here, uh, that he just introduced the wind into this meditation. But tell us a little bit about how how you work with the wind in your tradition. So the wind we call umoya which also means the soul or the spirit. So the way we do it is when we're lighting a fire, we're lighting a, a special ceremonial fire. We'll be quiet in the beginning and we'll just watch the direction of the wind and we'll watch and we'll watch how the, the smoke moves. And then we'll also bless ourselves with the smoke. But then what the way we watch the wind is also in terms of the weather, the weather patterns. So often when we start a very powerful ancestral ceremony when the day starts it might be a clear a clear day in terms of you see the, the sky is blue and there's not a drop of wind everything's clear and then when we start the prayers you start to see a few clouds moving on and then we'll see the rain clouds and maybe we'll hear thunder and then that's a sign for us that the ancestors have heard us that the wisdom keepers of the world our humanity have heard us because as we pray really strongly and we pray from our hearts and from our pulse inside of us, then a wind picks up and that wind, it's like what we call the vortex energy, that wind then connects with nature. So as we pray, we send out this vibration and then that turns into a physical wind and that connects with the weather patterns. And as we see the weather coming in, in terms of a, of a rain or a thunderstorm, it's a sign that the ancestors have heard us. So we will say, see our warmer. And ancestors have heard us and they've also agreed that they are going to support us for this ceremony, for this initiation work. So whenever we start praying in the beginning, like on a Friday before the ceremony starts, we'll always then look and see what is the reverb or what's the vibration from nature from our prayers. And we'll look at the birds and we'll look at the weather patterns and how the birds are moving. And then we'll look at the clouds. So the wind is a big part of that. 
Wow. When I was doing the research for um, Winds of Spirit, there was, uh, when I got to Africa, there were so many wind gods and so many wind goddesses that part of how the, the book came about was that I was going, I was following the trail to where I could find the information. So today, for me, you're adding a whole new dimension to the the wind work because we've been, for a couple of years, I've been being shown that there's a spin axis. What you're talking about is the vortex. And yeah. I didn't exactly have the wording for it other than I called it a spin axis because mm-hmm. I could I could see it and we've started to work with it. And, you know, we spin and unspin with it and connect. So this is like, so this is like, I feel like I'm getting holiday presents here. (laughs) Yeah, and in my book, um, Leopard Warrior, people can all have a look and see. I have a chapter in there, which I sent you, Renee, which is um, Ubuntu 101, which means humanity. And in there, I describe to people how to do a practice and how to connect with your ancestors and also the earth and how this creates an alchemy in your spine and in your body. And one of the things people have to work on is this chaos energy, which is this vortex energy. So I always say to people, when they start a ceremony with me, they need to watch the energy inside of them. They need to watch the wind inside of them because sometimes that energy or that wind spins in a strong way because they're receiving a transmission. They're receiving energy from me, but from the energy that was transmitted from me, I mean, to me, from my teachers in, in South Africa. And, and that energy is the energy of transformation. And sometimes when people feel this in a ceremony, um, they feel this wind coming up, but they feel this chaos energy. And often it hits people on their emotional body first. So they might start feeling grumpy or sad or emotional or whatever. And sometimes um, people might think that that's a sign that it's the wrong ceremony or work for them. And it's actually the opposite. And I always have to start off now when I'm doing my my ceremonies and work, I have to say, please, if you're feeling feeling, um, anxious or you're feeling a kind of a strangeness on the wind inside of you emotionally, then that's a sign that the medicine is taking root inside of you. If you're feeling blissed out and happy and there's another kind of wind coming through, I'm going, wonderful. It's a sign the medicine is working. <laughs> if you don't feel anything, then please come and speak to me afterwards. But uh, people, people have never come to speak to me afterwards about not feeling anything because this wind I call it the vortex energy of, of, of ignition, of igniting the kundalini inside of you. And we speak about the kundalini in South Africa as umbilini, umbilini where it gets connected to your umbilical cord and is the umbilini. So we'll say umbilini upezulu, which means the umbilini or the spirit inside of you is starting to rise up. And then the next we have to say, how is the wind inside of you? How is your spirit? Because sometimes you might feel very grumpy or emotional or just like the winds outside. And you have to be very, very careful not to act. So part of the training is being aware of what's going on inside of you when the prayers start and the ceremony starts, but then being very vigilant that you don't, let's say you get very angry because the energy comes up really strongly. We have to be very careful we don't react to that energy and lash out at someone because it's not personal to someone else. It's this energy that's lifting up inside of you. 
And that's that energy which connects you to the world and to the universe. Well, I think I'm going to invite you back to uh, maybe do a guest presentation for our, our apprenticeship program next year, where we start actually working with the wind as a, as a tool for healing, mm-hmm. because, you know, I thought I was writing another book and then all of a sudden this book came and it was like, who likes the wind? Everyone hates the wind. You want me to write a book about what? <laughs> it was like, and, and so you're bringing it home in, in a really great way for for um for for me especially and i'm sure all of these people who have been you know following this wind work because i just say you know i birthed this book but these wind patterns have been here for you know millions of years and and billions of years and that we forgot to listen to them and it's time that we reconnect and i keep believing that it's the wind that's going to teach us take us back to nature now that yes, everything yes. is created from the, the wind and everything returns to the wind. And so I'm like, I'm getting chills as, as you yeah. talk, because it's like you're confirming for me what I, I didn't even know when I was writing the book. And mm-hmm. I, I look forward to, to spending some more time with you. So how did you how did you get initiated? How did you how did you find this path as a white man in, in, a, in a traditionally uh, native indigenous culture how did how did they how did your two paths intersect well through my dreams i i had very profound dreams about becoming a, a sangoma and and then i got what they call the calling illness illness or called the twaza which is the calling illness to become a, a shaman and that's documented all around the world with with traditional um shamans um but so what happened with me when it actually started before I was born and people can read about it in the book, but it started with my mother. Yeah, I just, I just want to talk briefly about it because oh, no, I want to hear about this. <laughs> um, so it started before I was born, which is quite magical. It started with my mother um, and she's Irish and she's from Dublin. And so my mother had a, had a, a vision when she was walking the, the Dunleary Pier, which is a very well-known pier in Dublin. And it was in the 1950s. And she had a vision where she saw African elephants. And, and when she came back from the walk next to the sea, she just knew instantly that she had to go to Africa. She said, while, while there were still wild, um, while there were, there were still wild elef- elephants roaming free, she said. Um, and it's very sad because of all the poaching now, but this was the 1950s. So she had a feeling that she wanted to go to Africa and see wild elephants while they are still roaming free. Mm. So she got a transfer from her job. She was working at a time in London. So she got a transfer to, to actually go to, to Zambia, and uh, which is very unusual for a, for a single uh, woman in her late 20s, early 30s from Dublin going to Zambia, not, <laughs> as, a, not as a teacher, not as a nun, but as a, an executive secretary. So she went to Zambia and that's where she met my father because my father comes from, from Rhodesia or Zimbabwe. And uh, so she met him there. And the first thing they did was go into the wilderness and, and look at elephants. And then when I was born, I was born in, in Cape Town, just beneath Table Mountain. And I was born with this white clay around my eyes as I came out. And my mother thought that I looked like a little Aborigine, a little... Australian Aborigine because she had just lived there and they were all painted in white and uh, and the white doctor was shocked because it was apartheid but all the nursing staff who were closer they all ululated <laughs> and then 
number of years later, when my mother met my teacher for the first time, Mamgwebu, she came through the gates and she was dressed with a ceremonial white clay on the eyes. And then my mother remembered my birth. And then they sat down and my mom asked her, she said, what does the white clay mean? Because John was born with his white clay around his eyes. And my teacher was quiet and she said, I was as well. She said, all the traditional Sangormas who are called are born like this. Mm. She said, John um, is a traditional Sangorma like me. And, um, and that was a real moment between them. And they became very close from that point. And, um, but my teacher, Mamgwebu, she actually dreamt about me before I came to visit her. She had a dream that the great spirit came to her and told her that she was going to train and apprentice someone to become a senior Sangoma like her. And that she needed to prepare herself because this trainee was going to come from another culture. Mm. So the next day, when I came through her gate, she looked at me and she said I was the one that she had to train. And she didn't know how she's going to do it because I, I'm a white man and I don't speak Kosa and she doesn't speak English. So when we sat down and she did her divination and she read my spirit and she saw my calling and she also saw the sickness that I had, which is we call the Twaza, which is the Sangoma illness. And it's very, very extreme and you get very sick. And she could see how sick I was and she just felt all this compassion towards me. And she just said to me through my interpretive brain, she said, what took you so long to come to me? And I said, apartheid, mum, apartheid. Because in apartheid, white people were not allowed to go into the townships, which is where the people were living, where the, the African people were living. We weren't allowed to go in unless you were a military or a police or a priest. Um, so I wasn't able to go in. So I had to wait for apartheid to finish in order for me to go in. So I battled with the Twa's illness for about seven to 10 years. So she said, you, you have battled with this illness in the cold without any support. Well, you will be my, my senior student. And, um, and she said, you almost died. You know, you almost died. And she had a tear going down her face. It was mm. really emotional. And then she just said to me, you know, do you want to become a Sangoma? Do you want to become my apprentice? And I said, what does it mean to become a Sangoma? Because I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't educated with it. And she said, a Sangoma is a healer. And it's someone who's connected to the ancestral world. And when you connect to the ancestral world, you're going to be able to heal people in all different ways. And she said, and also your own sickness is going to be healed and you're going to become much stronger and you'll be a great trance dancer. So then I said to her, okay, I agree. And mm -hmm. she said, okay, well, wonderful. Then tomorrow come back and I'll give you your first white beads and mm -hmm. it'll be a sign that you are my apprentice. And that's how it started. So I apprenticed with her for 10 years and it was very beautiful and very difficult. And now a lot of my work is teaching people around the world about indigenous medicine, indigenous shamanism, and how to connect to the wind inside of them, how to connect to your dreams, how to connect with your ancestors, and how to connect to the earth. Um, because we're in such a difficult way right now, especially in Southern Africa, with a lot of animals being killed with poaching, the wilderness is shrinking all over the world at an alarming rate. And one of the reasons is, is because people have lost connection with the wind inside of them. They've lost connection with their spirit, 
but they've also lost connection with their humanity. They've lost connection with their ability to dream, to connect to the dream time. And as people do that, they turn into zombies and they turn into these, these, these consumers that just want to eat and eat and eat the world. And there's many stories about this in different cultures, but as people disconnect from their humanity, they have this voracious appetite because the appetite that's supposed to fill them is the appetite of the wind inside of them, of mm -hmm. their soul. Once the wind inside of them is full, they don't, people don't want a lot. You just want food and drink and shelter and all the basic things of a normal creature. But the sign of this incredible consumerism is a sign of people losing connection with their humanity. So this is a huge part of my work. And all my practices are based on helping people to connect to the spirit, to the wind inside of them. That's awesome. So we, we do very similar work. It's, it's, it's like such a refreshment to, it's like a, like a glass of water to, to have this conversation with you because that's kind of what I believe too. And, you know, it's just one of the things that has been most enjoyable about this particular holiday season for me is that, it seems like the consumerism has decreased that people are more interested in whether or not they can meet with three or four of their family members for the first time, instead of, you know, these large lavish parties where, you know, everyone fills up the Christmas tree with lots of presents that mean very little and that we, we, we're, we're essentialing down. And in that essentialing down, we have the opportunity, like you say, to connect to the wind. One of the practices in Winds of Spirit is to actually to take a wind walk. And, you know, unbeknownst from what you're saying, it's you walk out the front door, you ask the wind a question, and then you wait till you get a little kiss on the cheek or the your wind flags move or something so that you know that the wind is there listening. And then you just walk. It's a real kind of a mindfulness thing. So it sounds very similar, but in a very structured way where you actually apprenticed with someone, they taught you all of this, and it came more as a, less, as a download for me, but I'm sure you get it in your dream time too. And, yeah, yeah. So it's very, very cool. What, um, so what else is in your book? Well, the, the, a lot of the book is, is, is teaching or is a teaching memoir. So it's talking about how I became a Sangorma, and then it's also talking about my background as an apprentice, a Zen student with, um, with a Zen master in South Korea and, and how I was apprenticed with him. And then at the end, the grand master asked me if I wanted to become a Zen monk and join his monk army in South Korea. And, um, and there was quite an amazing moment there where I realized it pushed me to the edge after three months of, of, of retreating in, in a, temple in South Korea in the winter actually it was my first snow and in that moment became clear for me that I needed to go back to South Africa vote for Nelson Mandela and find a Sangoma teacher or be open to finding a teacher and I realized in that moment that I was destined to become a, an African monk an African monk as opposed to a strictly Zen monk in South Korea so um, an African monk or a traditional African monk, which is what I am, we chant and we sing, and that's how we connect with the spirit world. In a similar way to, to the Zen monks, a lot of them also have a practice of chanting, 
So that's where I started to learn to chant was first with the Zen monks in South Korea, which is an amazing experience. Again, difficult, um, but part of any initiation is sacrifice, as we all know. And we have to, we have to feel our, we say we have to feel your bones, you have to feel your commitment to your spirit. So I talk about that in the book, and then I also talk about the process of me connecting to my, my bloodlines, to my ancestors, my Irish ancestors, my English ancestors, and also my all the different ancestral lineages inside of me, so German, French, um, Scandinavian, how the, the dreams came to me and, and, and helped me to, to connect with my lineage. And, and then what I did was I pilgrimaged. So I traveled to different countries based on the dreams that I had. So I went to England and Ireland, I lived in Ireland for a number of years and I went to Denmark, I went to Holland, I went to France, I went to all the countries where my blood was being shown, where my DNA, where my dreams were calling me, where my ancestors were calling me. And then when I went to these places, I made offerings. I went to holy and sacred places and I made, I made offerings. And then as I did that, I became stronger inside. So I speak about how the journey of becoming a traditional healer or a traditional shaman is the journey of marrying the ancestral songs inside of you. So that means that we say in South Africa, you need to know the songs of your ancestors. And sometimes as much as literally the songs, like, you know, the songs in Ireland and the rhythms, it's sometimes the voices because each person's voice is a song. So sometimes it literally meant traveling to Denmark and Copenhagen and hearing the sounds of the people speaking in Danish because those sounds are connecting to my DNA and to my ancestry. And I had to go physically to these places to experience this. And then when I went back to South Africa to finish my, my, my apprenticeship over, after 10 years, I knew the songs of my ancestors because I had experienced it and I was in a stronger place to become a, a traditional shaman. That's awesome. I pilgrimage too. It made me think about uh, people and their lack of commitment. You know, one of the things that I see in, and it's not a criticism because maybe that was our journey as our, to become who we are. And now like the people are not going to be able to travel across a lot of borders and things like that. Cause a lot of people think like, Oh, life is going to get back to normal. Well, this is the normal. This, there is, we've crossed that threshold. We're not like, this is the threshold guys. And so I'm wondering what you think about that is like, I, I too, I sat in a Lakota lodge for 10 years and I went to Peru and I had all of the initiations and I, and I did the work and now I, I get a sense of a lot of times where I see people hopping from one teacher to the next if the flavor isn't suiting them or gathering knowledge like a sponge. And do you think that that's a sign of the times or do you think that that we, we, we paved the road and now people can, you know, you know, pick fruit off the tree for, for how it serves them? What's your opinion about that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a combination of things. I think we're living in such a multicultural world. However, these old ways of simplicity, these old ways of listening to the wind and feeling the spirit in your heartbeat and walking outside and watching what direction is the wind moving in, these old ways are still with us. And if anything, 
we have to move in a simple way to calm our nervous system and calm our ways. And I think um, this massive, you could say, consumerism in the spiritual world is just it's just an indication of the massive consumerism we have in the outer world. And so what I feel is this responsibility every time I teach now is to say that I'm not a lecturer. I'm a traditional ceremonial sangoma, and my job is not to do it for you, but to help you find it inside yourself for you to walk with me. So if you want to do this work, then sit with me and I'll show you how to connect with the power inside of you, how to connect with the wind inside of you. But I can't do it for you. But I make a very important point now, and this is just after my time actually in the Kalahari this year. I did three retreats in the Kalahari desert just as the COVID virus broke in a strong way. And afterwards, people couldn't travel. So we finished the last retreat in March. And afterwards, I I felt the importance of changing the teaching slightly and actually saying that it's actually not about us as individuals anymore. It's actually about the world. So basically, there is a responsibility for each human being, not just leaders and not just politicians, but each human being, it's a responsibility for each person to connect with the wind inside of you, to connect with your spirit and with your soul so that you are not a rampant consumer, because a rampant consumer um, is actually like a virus on this world, much worse than the coronavirus, much, much worse. And this is what's actually happening. People may have good intentions, but unless you are connected to your spirit inside of you, you are in danger of being a hungry ghost, which the Buddhists talk about is Mm -hmm. this voracious appetite where people just eat and eat and eat. So whatever spiritual practice you do, I don't mind. I don't care. It's not up to me. It's up to you. If you're choosing a spiritual practice, then you do it 100% and you give of your heart and you devote yourself and you serve that practice, but you don't ask what's in it for me. What am I going to get from this? If I'm going to do a ceremony with myself or with Renee or Sandra Ingerman or what any teacher, don't ask yourself, what are you going to get from them? Ask, what can you give? What can I give of my heart to join Renee and join Sandra in ceremony so that this ceremony can be absolutely exquisite? So we talk in South Africa of Ubuntu, and I have it written in the book. Ubuntu means humanity, but it also means a circle. And it's saying the first connection to the circle of life is inside of you, and you have to make a decision to become a human being. So each person makes a decision to connect to their spirit, to connect to their soul and their wind. But that's a choice. Each person has a choice to connect to their humanity or not. However, because of the state of the world we're in, I say to clients and students, you have a choice to connect with your humanity. And it's painful because to become a human being, it means to feel. It means to feel the suffering of an insect because We as human beings are empaths. We feel the world and we are custodians of the world. So Ubuntu is a circle and it says, as we connect with our humanity, we also connect with our ancestors and other world. And then we connect to our community and then you're holding hands. And as you connect with your community in the physical world and in the spiritual world, you also start to connect with the non-human world, which with the wilderness. So you're creating this vibration, you're creating this wind of empathy. So a human being is an empath, is a custodian, is a creature 
that is the guardian of this world. That's the original default of the human being. And so when someone is sitting down to practice spiritually, this is what they should be asking themselves. How can I give of my spirit? Exactly. And, and I have to take that a step further because I just remember when I started, I was going to an AA 12-step group and she's the, the, the person in the front said, the only reason I'm teaching you is, you know, so that you can be of service to other people. And at the time I was in such pain. I'm thinking like, no, I'm here to get this other person sober. And if they would only be sober, I'd be okay. And I don't want to go give this away to anyone else. And it was like, that's how self-centered I was when I, when I first began on this journey and it turned into now, how do I serve the wind? How do I show up? How do I, how do I hold a community when some, some years it feels like there's little in it for me, you know, it's just like there was those, I was the hungry ghost for a long time until that attitude really shifted around and, and now the community, like when we do the this this fire tending thing that we're in the middle of, like I feel held by the circle. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like I don't have to hold up the whole circle because you all have your candles and your, your flames lit. And mm-hmm. so we're holding each other. And it's just such a better place to be. So it sounds like from what you're saying that you have achieved Ubuntu, you have achieved humanity. And then once you we created that, then the next thing is to keep going, you know? So it's a constant, we are in a constant state of, of realizing our Ubuntu. So mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela spoke about this. He spoke about Ubuntu and he also, he also demonstrated it very, very clearly. He demonstrated with every breath and every walk that he made. Ubuntu is a state of realizing your humanity and you consistently keep doing it. So how are the vulnerable doing in our communities? How are the old people doing? How are the sick people doing? This is where our focus is. And if you, in a family where one of your parents is old and sick and struggling, straight away, that's where your teaching is and that's where your practice is. And I've experienced this with my elders. With my elders, they've been sick for years, uh, quite a few of my, my closest Sangoma elders, and also, elders and other Sangoma traditions. I used to sit with them and and then the next thing is I'd always go and run errands and buy food and get involved in ceremonies. And that's very much part of traditional shamanic apprentice is not what you can get as a student. It's what you give to the elders to help them. And then they are so sweet and kind because they can see this young one with them doesn't just want to take from them, but actually wants to sit and be with them and love them. It's all about love. Absolutely. I, I brought refrigerators and, you know, I mean, it was whatever the, whatever the exchange was, they needed a refrigerator. I got the refrigerator, you know, that type of thing. And I, yeah, that's kind of that, that I kind of a little bit lost, but on your website, let's go over to your website and tell people, and then you'll finish with a chant after or some, will we? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about your uh, website so people can find you. Um, there's, and there is a donation link there too. So that goes back to the elders in your tribe. Is that? Yes. I mean, I use it for my, for my work, but I also use it a lot for, um, you know, for helping the underprivileged Sangormas in my community. I've been doing that for many years. Yeah. So there's always a lot of projects and 
you know, it's either food or it's ceremonial help or medicine, taking, taking my teacher and other teachers to, to, to the doctors, you know, the private doctors to help them, you know. So his website is johnlockley.com and that's L-O-C-K-L-E-Y.com hmm. and J-O-H-N. So you, and this will be right in the link below in the comments here. And also, you know, you, you can find him and go support his work. It looks like you do a lot of different things from, from, from Zoom sessions, mentoring program, plant healing, in-person divination, monthly webinars. Oh yeah, that was what he would like us to go sign up for his monthly webinars. I'm certainly going to because I, I want to learn about. I was like, I wanted to get back to the, the the African winds. It was it was a call, and yet there just there were so many and not enough information from where I was doing my scholarly research to get it. But I have a feeling that you just opened up a doorway for me today. So I'm very excited. Yes, and I just need to just um, just let people know that I, I don't really work as a lecturer as such. So I don't really give a lot of information, but I do work with a practice. And the practice is the essence of what it is to be a Sangoma. So I work every, every monthly webinar is actually a monthly ceremony. And I do a guided, I start off with chanting and a guided meditation. And I know it was always finished like that as well. And, and the practice is about, I give a teaching and then I ask people if have any questions. And I'm really encouraging people to practice um, because the more people practice in the world, the more we can all be human beings and achieve Ubuntu. I'm kind of careful about doing an anthropological discussion on various things that we do as Sangomas. I'm trying to be very careful about that. And the, word, and the reason is because of cultural appropriation. My job is not to give out secrets about the Sangoma tradition. When I go home, as a traditional Sangoma, I walk straight into it and I speak Kosa and that's my life. However, when I'm teaching the world and the, and the public, my job is to help inspire people to practice in these old ways. So that's what these monthly webinars are. It's a different theme. So I have I talk about ancestors, I'll talk about dreams. At the moment, I'm finishing up a theme on the way of the warrior and how to connect with the warrior essence inside of you. And I'll often bring in stories of the wind and I might give in a story about a teaching or what happened or a Sangoma teaching or, or, or a Zen teaching around the wind and the warrior. And so it's, there's a lot of common themes um, from what you're doing, Renee. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to, and, and one thing I'll say is there's in the last few years, I haven't, when I was writing, I, I kept it really like, because the information was coming to me with the research, I really didn't broaden out, but I'm finding myself ready to to broaden out a little bit. And, and so I'm going to come for sure to a couple of your, your monthly webinars for sure. In fact, your mm -hmm. first one that I can see here is just that he's doing something on New Year's Eve or no, the night before New Year's Eve. Not before. Yeah. So yeah. It'll, no, it'll be two nights before it's on the 30th. Right. And that's right. the last of the series on the way of the warrior. And um, people can come in at any time. So even if it's the third one, don't worry because they all have aspects where it's connected. And um, and then of course people can also get my my the way of the leopard audio teachings, which nice. is also connected, but it's a different product to the book. But it's it's a different teaching in the sense that where the book is talking about my memoir as a memoir, as a teaching memoir, the audio teachings is is teaching. So it's teaching people how to connect with the leopard, with the instinctual side of themselves, with the wilderness inside of themselves. Mm. And I will gain, I'll gain, I'll bring in that that common element between us with the wind. I will say how the element, how the leopard 
feels the wind as a cat and how they watch the wind and how they let that move inside of them and how they taste it. So the audio teachings is, is, is an addition to the book. It's, 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 a different, it's a different product, but it's very helpful for people. And I really loved what Sounds True did with it. And I, I love Sounds True's work. So it's like a ceremony. That audio teaching is like a ceremony which you can bring home. I love that. Uh, Sounds True seems to do some really great products. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of come to the end of our time, which is only really the beginning of our time. I can tell you right now, I'm I'm very excited that I got this opportunity to sit with you. You're going to lead us out with a chant or? Um, yes, I um, think the chant, I'll try a different chant now, and that's the Umoya chant, which is the wind chant. So I thought you'd like that. Very nice. Okay, so this uh, this chant is Umoya, and it's about connecting with the wind inside of you and also connecting with your spirit, your soul. So everyone wants to just sit up straight and feel your breath. And I'll bring in my bone whistle. Now you watch the wind. 
you watch the wind inside of you and you go, you look outside and you look at the wind moving through the trees. So right now I'm watching the wind as it touches the leaves outside and it makes it move. And I give thanks to the wind for we are all connected, we are all one. The wind inside of you and the wind outside, as we say in Zen, are they the same or different? Mm. We leave that with you to answer. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much for being with us today. And um, we'll be over to your we'll be over to your gatherings. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Renee. Welcome to the I Am Winter Solstice Symposium.